How's everybody doing? We good? Good. Good. You look good. You sound good. Jasper, I know you're doing well. Man, it's a good day. We're preaching through the book of Romans, and that's why it's a good day, because we've been learning uh, over the last several weeks now. We're so many weeks into this, we just quit telling you what week it was, uh, but it is week 12. We're just preaching through the book of Romans, and the reason why we're doing this is because it is so important for us to have right doctrine, because right doctrine informs right beliefs, and so if we don't have the, if we don't understand what it is that we believe, if we don't have good theology, then our beliefs won't hold us up. They won't be enough to save us, and so so that's what we've been talking about, what it is that we believe, what the, the foundations really of our belief. And if you were here last week, we talked about how it is about faith alone in Christ alone. And that's what we discussed on Easter as well. And so we're going to just continue that conversation. Uh, Paul going to continue to belabor the point here in Romans chapter four. In fact, we're going to close out Romans chapter four today, and then we'll get into Romans chapter five next week. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter four. We're going to start in verse 13 work our way down to the end of it in verse 25. And again, if you don't always have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. It'd be our gift to you. But we've got the verses here on the screen as well. So let's pray before we get started, and then we'll jump in, all right? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And God, I pray as we open your word now, as always, that you would open our hearts and minds to see the truth in it. Help us to, to see, God, how this informs what we believe, that this is the grounds for our belief because you have told us in a book how we can believe and you've given us these stories, you've given us these truths to let us know how we are not only made right with you, but God, how we are saved and how we're to live. And so God, I pray as we preach it, God, you would help me to communicate it correctly and rightfully and in a way that is helpful. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to verse 13, or let's, uh, 13, 14, and 15, and then we'll stop and chat about it. It says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be, uh, that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression." So let's stop and chat about this. We talked about last week, I told you the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the article on which the church stands or falls. And so Paul is arguing this point for chapters now that we are saved by faith, in faith in what Jesus has done. And he's using Abraham as his primary example for that, to say that's exactly how Abraham was saved too. Now, here's why this is so important, because now here we are in, in 2019, and as we look back on history, and, and the Bible tells us about a lot of events that happened in history, as we look back, primarily, we are now living in the New Testament times, and when we look back on the Old Testament times, then history just all kind of runs together. Like we look back through the lens of where we're at and it's hard to get past, you know, as we go further back into history, we look at it through the lens of what's most current to us. And here's what I mean by this. Let me illustrate it. He's arguing about Abraham here and how Abraham was saved. And he's saying, listen, Abraham was not saved by the law. Here's how we know that. The law didn't come until 600 years after Abraham. Over 600 years, like 630 or 40 something years after Abraham, we get the Exodus. We get Moses and the people of God leaving Egypt and going into their promised land and getting the law. But when we look back 
on history, we just see all of that together. So it's hard for us to understand Abraham without looking to him through the lens of the law. Does that make sense? But there's a 600-year difference there. Now, again, that's hard for us to fathom because our country, the United States of America, we've been a country for a little over 200 years. Like we think, and here's what's crazy. For, do, you, do you realize Americans that history existed before America? <laughs> like I, I, know, I know that's crazy for us to fathom. Like if you ever go to Europe or you go to other countries, they have buildings that are older than our country. Like it's, it's crazy for us to fathom that. And so when we look back historically, we just kind of mush it all together. And especially when we now look back at the Old Testament, we just simply think that it was all together. But no, Paul's arguing, listen, listen, you have to understand, long before the law ever came, the Bible says Abraham was justified. And so he was justified, he says, through the righteousness of faith, which means he was made righteous through faith, not through the law, not through the law. Now you have to understand the role of the law. Because he tells us without the law, there's no transgressions. There's no wrath. So here's how it works. In the Old Testament, people were saved exactly like people in the New Testament are saved. Through faith. The Old Testament simply was they believed in what God would do in Christ. We look back on what God did do. So the same human event in history shines light both ways. And so in faith, Abraham, and we're going to get into this more, believed in what God would do. He was not made right or justified by obeying the law. Again, because the law didn't come till 600 years later. So he was saved by faith. And here's why this is so important. I'll never forget when I was younger, and uh, you know when you're old that you always refer to yourself as younger, because, uh, you know, old's relative. I turned 40 last year, and, and I've joked about this. You know you're old when you start referring to yourself in decades. You talk about 20s, you talk about 30s, you talk about 40s. So when I was in my early 20s, I was going to be a, a pastor. And again, I've, I've said this before here. I didn't grow up in church, didn't know anything about Jesus or God. And so I got saved in middle school. And when I got saved, I thought everybody became a Christian. I mean, that too. But I thought every Christian became a pastor. I just didn't know. And so I thought, well, now my life belongs to Jesus. I'm going to school to be a pastor. So I gave up football and, and soccer scholarships because I was following Jesus. And so I went to a small Baptist school in East Texas, and it was called East Texas Baptist University, super creative us Baptists are. And so I went there because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And so I go and I'm learning religion. I'm learning how to preach because this is what I want to do. I preached my first sermon when I was 17. It was only like 20 minutes long. You're like, oh, those were the days. No, it's only gotten better as I've gotten older. And so I'll never forget a conversation I was having with a friend of mine. I, I, my family was friends with her family, and they lived right up the road from each other. And we were going on a trip to, to see the older sister run track, and I was in the car with the mom and dad up front and me and the younger sister in the back. And she asked me a question that as a young you know, theological student, I wasn't really prepared to answer. And she asked me, how were Old Testament people saved? And I don't even remember exactly what I said, but I know I said something heretical, and what that means is wrong. I said something to the effect about all the laws in the Old Testament and the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. Now, here's the part that was really bad. 
her father who was driving was a pastor. Yeah, who could hear our conversations. I need to go back and talk to him. Like, do you remember that day? No, okay, I'm not gonna remind you. Um, but if he, if he, I wish he would have pulled over and took me out behind the shed and told me what was what, right? So I can only imagine what he's thinking. Here's this young whippersnapper back there waxing about how people in the Old Testament were saved, and he's so wrong. Like, he's gotten it all wrong. Because if I would have read my Bible, right, like Hebrews 10, it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So people in the Old Testament and the role of the law functioned in a way not to show them how to be saved, like obey this and be saved. It was functioning to show them that they needed to be saved. And so he's talking about faith and the law, and he's saying, listen, faith came before. Abraham was made right by faith, not by the law. The law came over 600 years later. You say, okay, why did God give him the law? Well, God gave them the law, two reasons, I believe. One, to show them, here's how safe people act. Like God freed them out of the nation of Egypt and he gave them laws. And just to illustrate why they needed those laws, if you remember the story, if you don't even know the story because you didn't grow up in church or reading about it, literally Moses goes up on the mountain to get the commandments. And while he's up there getting the commandments on the tablets of stone, his brother, little whack job, is down there leading all the people to burn all their gold and make a statue and worship it. And God just freed them. And, and Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets in disgust because here they are, just been saved by God and they're burning their gold and making a statue to worship. And, and we look at them, we're like, those people are so crazy. Really? Don't you do the same? You're saved by God and then you trust in the things of man so quickly? Because you know, Right? You can take them out of Egypt, but it is sure hard to get Egypt out of them. Right? Anybody who's from the country knows that. You take a boy out of the country, it's hard to take the country out of the boy. And that's the role of the law. The role of the law is to say, here's how you're supposed to act. But the second purpose is it shows us we can never live up to that. So it shows us that we need to be saved. And this is why he says, without the law, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know that we've transgressed. That word there, transgressed, is just another way of saying trespass. God has boundaries. He has laws. And we wouldn't know that we've transgressed against them unless he told us what they were. And so just like we have no trespassing signs, like if you, if you don't live in an HOA, maybe you have it in your HOA and you're awesome, all right? If, if you have no trespassing signs, you are telling people, listen, here's a boundary. This is my area, that's your area. We're cool as long as you stay over in your area, you come over in my area, we got problems. And just speaking of country and taking the boy out of the country, <laughs> my brother who lives in East Texas, and I, I talk all the time about how we're redneck, he literally has a no trespassing sign on his gate, and this is what it says. It says, no trespassing, violators will be shot, survivors will be shot again. <laughs> right? <laughs> and everybody from North Georgia like, dang, right. <laughs> right? You trespass against his, it's not going to be good for you. I saw another one. I thought this was pretty funny. It said, no soliciting. 
We are too broke to buy anything. We know who we are voting for. We have found Jesus. So unless you have a package from Amazon, please go away. <laughs> like that, that's, that's pretty true right there, right? Like, I don't need to vote for nothing. I don't need, you know, I know Jesus. Uh, unless you Amazon, hightail it on out, right? But, but the idea of trespassing is simply this. Without a sign, you wouldn't know you're trespassing. That's what the law does. The law is there to show us, listen, we have trespassed. But we haven't just trespassed this law that it's neutral. Like the law of God is not just neutral. It's not just words on a page. It's not just tablet, you know, words on a tablet. You've trespassed against a person. It's not just the law, it's the law of God. So we have trespassed against God. So that's a personal offense. And what Paul is saying is, listen, we don't, we don't, we're not made right with God by the law. The law is just there to show us that we're not right with God right now. So think about the law like this. The law is like an x-ray. I don't know if you've ever broken anything. I've broken ankles and stuff, and you know, now I pay the price for it as I'm older. When I was younger, I was like, oh, no problem. Put the trampoline next to the house. We'll just jump off the house onto the trampoline. You shouldn't do that, kids, by the way. And we didn't even have the net around the side. Like, I don't, we didn't sign a waiver. I don't know how we survived, right? Like, but now you pay the price for that. But, but a, a, a broken bone is, is only established that it's broken by an x-ray. So the x-ray says, yep, it's broke. But does the x-ray fix the bone? No. You, you need the work of someone outside of yourself to set you right. The x-ray is just there to show you you ain't right. You're broken. So here's how Paul's arguing. The law is there to show you something's broken. Now you need the action of someone else outside of you to set you right. And all Paul is arguing is that's exactly how Abraham was saved. Abraham was saved in faith. Because if it wasn't by faith, if it was by the law, then faith is null and the promise is void. What he's saying there is you're literally taking out all the power of the faith if it's something that we get by obeying the law. He says, no. And he goes on, look at this verse 16. I love this. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, here's how he argues. Again, this is so important to understand right doctrine. Right belief. Here's how he says, listen, that's why it depends on faith. Why? Because if it doesn't depend on faith, then it's not resting on grace. If we are saved by something we do, then we're saved by works, not by grace. And if it's not by faith in what someone else did, then it nullifies that grace. So I want you to understand something. And again, this is why Paul belabors the point. This is why we're belaboring the point. This is why we're teaching through this book so that you can understand rightly how we're made right with God. We are made, I'm gonna teach you six words here. And I would highly recommend you to write them down, memorize them. 
by grace, through faith, in Christ. Let me say that again. By grace, through faith, in Christ. All those in the back, all right? By grace, through faith, in Christ. Let's just make it a choral thing. Say it with me, all right? Come on, I'm gonna lead you. By grace, through faith, in Christ. One more time, Jasper, come on with me, all right? By grace, through faith, in Christ. Got it? Write it down, memorize it. That's how we're saved. It's by grace. Grace is a gift. It's unmerited favor. It's something you don't earn. It's through faith. It's through believing that gift that came to you in Christ. You want another reference for this? I would write this one down. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Literally, Paul, same guy says there, by grace, you are saved through faith. You're God's workmanship in Christ. Not by works, for works. So that is the key. So here's how Paul's arguing. Listen, if it's not by faith, then it no longer rests on grace. If you're not saved through faith, through the means of believing in what Christ did, then you nullify grace. You're saying, no, it's not based upon a gift I received. It's based upon an action or something I earned. And so that's why this is so important. And here's why it's so important. Another thing Paul says here I want to point out. He says, so that it may rest on grace, look back at it, verse 16, and be guaranteed. Guaranteed. Don't you like guarantees? I love me some guarantees. Like when I buy something and it's got a guarantee, I'm like, straight up, because if it broke, I'm going to bring it back because you didn't guarantee, like the guarantee didn't work, right? A guarantee is an assurance. So here's how he's arguing. Listen, if it's not by grace through faith, you have no guarantees. You have no guarantees. This is why Christianity, and I don't even like that phrase per se, because we even turned that into a religion, but the first Christians in Acts 9 and 10 were called Christians, not because they were a new religion, but because they reminded them so much of Christ. And so, so often we can treat Christianity even like a religion, but you need to understand something. It's not in the truest sense because religion is about what you need to do to be made right with God. This is why every other religion in the world has some type of works-based system. Islam has the five pillars of Islam, which interestingly enough, one of them is faith, but then you've got four other ones. So it's not faith alone. Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, there's a whole list of things that you got to do. You want to know why they're coming knocking on your door? Because if they don't knock on your door, then they can't be guaranteed. You want to know the best way to get people to serve in church? Tell them that they're going to go to hell if they don't serve. For real, if I told you, you got to attend a service, you got to serve a service, you got to give, you got to be in a group, you got to do these things. And if you don't do those things, you're not made right with God. You'd show up every week. Sadly, we say, no, no, it's all by grace, and you all stay home. 
right? So thank you for all the super spiritual ones that are here today. Now, if you're watching online because something else happened, I ain't mad at you. I love you, all right? But, but here's the point. If it's not by grace through faith, then I'm always wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? And if you ask people who believe in Christ today, if they're saved, a lot of times they're saying, I hope so. Are you a Christian? I'm trying to be. You don't understand it fully yet. And I'm not being mad or mean. I'm saying that's sad. Because you're not saved based upon what you do. You're saved by believing in what someone else did. And that's the only way to be guaranteed that you're saved. You want to know why? Because when Christ stuck out his arms on the cross, he uttered the words, it is finished. It's done. It's paid for. And if you believe that, it's credited to you. So the only way to have a guarantee is to bank your righteousness on Christ's work. So as Christians, as people who believe we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, we should have all the guarantee in the world. And listen to me, please. That is not arrogance to think that. Most people would say, even though they're not sure, they're like, yeah, I don't even know if I can be sure. And it's, it'd probably be kind of prideful to think that I am sure. No. Paul says that's the assurance of our salvation. Because it's by grace through faith. We have got the guarantee because Christ said it's finished. Now he goes on, look at this, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Now listen to this description of God. This is arguably the coolest description of God in our entire Bible. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Is that just not cool or what? I mean, come on somebody. I thought I'd get a little bit of an amen there. All right, let's try that again who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yeah, come on, I told you after I got back from Africa how responsive they were, man. Like I'm feeding for my people now. I need to go back to Revolution Tia, all right? But come on, Revolution Canton and Jasper, I know you can give it to me. We serve a God who brings life to the dead and creates life where nothing exists, right? Yeah, that's our God. How can I be sure? You know how I can be sure? Because God beat death. That's how you can know. He gives life to the dead. In Genesis, the Bible talks about when God created, he spoke it into existence, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God didn't take materials and push them together. He created the materials, then pushed them together. It was out of nothing. So the best thing that you can give God is nothing. He doesn't need any raw materials from you to give faith. He doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who've got no shot at helping themselves. And that's the story of Abraham. That's the story of the Bible. And that's what's amazing about our Bible. The storyline of the Bible. One family in the beginning, Adam and Eve, messed it up for all families. And so therefore, God starts a redemption plan. Genesis 3.15, I tell you all this all the time. The first gospel from his seed, God tells the woman, 
Then you, the storyline of the Bible, maybe sometime, if Lord willing, if you know, I got decades here still left, we'll preach through the book of Genesis. But then time moves on. And then in Genesis 11, God tells them multiply. They don't, they stay together. And so at the Tower of Babel, God disperses them, makes all the nations of the world. And then in Genesis 12, God chooses one of them. Abraham, or Abram at that time, makes him into a family, and then from that family makes them into a nation, and so that from that nation would become a family of nations. Let me give it to you like this. In fact, I've got it on the screen. Here's the storyline of the Bible. The storyline of the Bible goes from a family to a nation made up of families to a family made up of nations. I don't want you to miss this, and this is so key to this part of Romans, and I'll explain why in a second, but it goes from a family to a nation made up of families to then a family made up of nations. Why is that so important? Because that's what Abram believed. Look at the next two verses. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many, what? Nations, not just one, but many nations. He would be the father. It'd be a family of nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. be. Verse 19, but here's what's so, so amazing about our story. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. We laughed about this last week, if you were here, since he was about 100 years old. So if you're about 100 the Bible's saying you're as good as dead, right? Like that's, that's the point. It's like 100-year-old dudes don't have kids. And then the next part, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So his wife was 90. Now here's what's crazy. That word there, barrenness, and the word dead are the same rooted Greek word. He was as good as dead and his wife's womb was dead, which means could produce no life. Why in the world do you think God chose them to make a family to turn into a family of nations so that they could take no credit for it? I said that to you often. Why would he do that? So the promise that Abram believed and in this interchange, God changes his name. If you know that story from Abram, which means exalted father to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, if you know the story, that took a 25 year period. At 75, God told him it didn't happen until he was 100. This is why I'm so encouraged by what Paul says here. It says he grew in his faith. Look at verse 20. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, what's so interesting to me and why I love this is those two phrases there, he grew in faith and he gave glory to God. Without understanding those in their original language of Greek, you, you miss something. When it says he grew in faith, that is in the passive voice, which means it wasn't something he did, it's something that was done to him. But then when it says, and he gave glory, that's in the active voice. So I want you to see this. Against hope, 
he hoped. What is he saying? Abram and Sarah had no earthly reason to believe the promise. If they just looked at their circumstances, nothing in their circumstances said, oh yeah, I think we can do that. I mean, I'm 75, still got a little pep in my step, right? I think I can make this happen. Nope. So in hope, against hope, why? No earthly reason. It was all by faith. But it says his faith grew strong and that was passive. Here's what's so interesting and comforting to me. Abram didn't make his faith grow. God did. His faith didn't grow because Abram was so good. His faith grew because he believed in God who was so good. And that's why this is so important. Because so often we put the circumstances on our life based upon or based against the quality or quantity of our faith. And so we say things like, if you just have more faith, if you just believe. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a crushing weight because I'm coming back. I better believe. I got I to gotta have more faith. And we fundamentally misunderstand how this operates. Let me give you another verse reference. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. One of my favorite verses. Our whole Part of our whole mission is built upon this. Paul said there, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So therefore, who plants and who waters doesn't matter, but the God who gives the growth. So here's how it works. You plant, you water, God grows it. So your faith is of God. God is the one who grows it. So the question is not, can you measure up enough faith? Can you grow up enough faith? The measure is this. You give God glory until he grows that faith. See, I can't grow the faith, but you know what I can do? I can give him glory. And the giving of the glory is me planting and watering. It's me planting and watering. See, so many Christians have quit on the process because their faith hasn't matured yet. And here's what God's saying. You just keep planting. You just keep watering. You just keep giving glory, and I'll make that thing grow. But so often, we don't give, listen to me, we don't give glory till after we see the growth. But faith is believing that the growth is coming, and so I'm going to give the glory. And that's what Abram did. He gave the glory because he can do that actively. And then God gave the growth of his faith. And then he had a son. God did for him what he had no chance of doing for himself. And this is why this is so important for us today. When you read the stories of the Old Testament, the point is not be as good as Abraham. No. The point is believe that God is as good to you as he is to Abraham. Believe in, like we talked about in Easter, not just believe that. And this is so encouraging because when you look at your circumstances, when I look at my circumstances, there is no human earthly reason to believe. 
He's like, well, it's dead. My marriage is dead. My hope is dead. My future is dead. Yeah, but you worship a God who can bring life to the dead. You worship a God who can create things that don't exist. And, and listen, I'm not saying just in faith, keep believing. God's going to make you rich. No. Do you think that's the blessing? Again, we are so selfish. No. You believe in hope against hope that this is not all there is. This is what you see is not all that is. And I don't know about you, but I've pastored now long enough, over 20 years, that I have been in enough of the worst human situations that you can imagine. And as a pastor, how do I walk into those horrible human situations with hope? How do I walk into those situations and give those people hope and tell them in hope you believe against hope? You got no reason for this right now, but in faith, believe that God will make right all of this. He may not do it in your lifetime, but he will. You want to know how? Look at the next couple of verses. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him. That's, a, again, a counting term. It's credited to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. You know, if you've been here, I love conjunctions, and but is my favorite. But ours also. These things weren't written just for Abraham. They were written for us to read to build our hope, to build our faith. Why? Look at the next part. It was counted to us. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Those two words, therefore, are prepositions of purpose. Here's what it means. You want to know why God sent Jesus to, to deliver Jesus? Because you and I had trespassed. You and I had transgressed against his laws. We had broken them. And so he sent forth Jesus. He delivered Jesus up for our trespasses. But that's only half the good news. The other half of the good news is he raised him. He raised him for our justification. So here's what this means. If there is no resurrection, there is no justification. You want to know why? Because if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, we don't know if the payment cleared. We don't know if God accepted the sacrifice. But since we do know that God accepted the sacrifice because we do know Christ did raise from the dead, now we can believe against hope. Why? Because we know death doesn't win. Death doesn't win. Now, listen to you. I don't understand how Christians can stay passive, and I for sure don't understand how preachers don't get excited when they talk about this. Like, we've got the greatest factual events ever to base our faith on. Our faith isn't based on a feeling. Our faith is based on a fact. And the fact is, Jesus beat death from the inside. I mean, he died. And again, on Friday, they had no reason to hope there is their Savior dead on the cross. But on Sunday, all of that faith was justified. It was made right. Now, they have every reason to hope. And they saw the truth that God can bring life out of death. 
God can bring into existence the things that don't exist. And that's your God. That's your God. And, and, and listen to me. I have done too many funerals of horrible circumstances where I will tell them, listen, right now I know it's horrible. And I know the temptation right now is to walk away and to say, if God is so good and this is so bad, then why? And I don't have all the answers for that, but here's what I do know. If you walk away from God, you still have to wrestle with that. And if there is no God, then that is meaningless. It means nothing. You can find no purpose in it. But if there is a God who beat death, then even though this circumstance right now is the end of my hope, I can hope against it. Even though right now, this circumstance is the end of my joy, it's the end of my peace, it's the end of my identity, whatever it is, I can hope against all that. Because I've got a faith that beat all that. So my friends, listen to me. You want to know why justification by faith alone or by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is what I'm telling you is if that is not true, we have no meaning and purpose. But we as Christians, that's what our faith is built on. And so since that's true, we have the greatest guarantee in the world that this is not all there is. And that one day, that same God, he will return. And Romans 8, 28 is not, and we'll get into this when we get into Romans months from now, is not just God's gonna do good things out of this bad circumstance. No, the hope that we have is God is gonna turn this bad circumstance into good one day. He's going to undo this. He's going to undo death. He's going to undo it. And everybody who died in faith, they will be raised again and he will undo it. And this is way better than Avengers. Way better. I'm not trying to ruin the storyline for you. I'm just telling you, it's better. Because he doesn't have to travel back in time and mess up your mind to fix something. No, he came into time. And he fixed it from the inside by giving his life as a sacrifice because he knew we trespassed. And he knew that God alone could beat death. So my friends, I don't know your circumstances right now. But here's what I know. The storyline of the Bible is this. God took a family, made him into a nation of families, turned it into a family of nations so that every nation of the world could have the faith of that founding family. And so I don't know what your nation is, your nationality, but I do know the church should be made up of nations. So if you don't like worshiping with people who don't look like you, talk like you, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> and that's why the church now should be a reflection of heaven on earth made up of nations. Why? 
Because pain and suffering knows no national borders. Death comes to us all. So Christ came and died for all. If you believe in him, that you too would be raised from the dead. So whatever circumstances you're facing, today you can hope against hope. That the God who did that will grow you. He'll grow your faith. You just keep giving him glory. Now there's some of you here today and you don't even have faith. But we can start that now. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that our faith is built upon the foundation of a factual event. Not a hope simply of something that will happen, but a hope in something that did happen. And so God, I pray right now for anybody here who has never in faith trusted in Christ and received that grace that he purchased for them. I pray right now you'd save them. Open their eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is so they can respond in faith and be saved. As always, nobody looking around or talking, if there's never been a point in time in your life where you have trusted Christ but you feel like now God has opened your eyes to see the truth. And in that moment now, you respond in faith. Paul says later, I say this all the time, confess with your heart or your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So if that's you, I'm gonna lead you simply in a confession so that you can possess faith and be saved. You can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. I know I trespassed. But I believe that Jesus took the payment for that. And it's now credited to me. So forgive my sins in Christ. Make me righteous. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking as always, but if you just prayed and trusted Jesus, very simply, would you do one thing for us? Just lift your hand up so we can see that. The only reason why we ask you to lift your hand is because we've got a gift for you. We want to give you a Bible and some next steps. And so just leave your hand up until somebody walks around, puts that in your hand, and then you can put it down. We want to know who you are so we can help you. But then those of us who, like me, you've been a believer for a while. But if you're honest, your faith gets tested. We're actually going to talk about that next week in Romans 5. But you feel, you feel like you just don't have enough faith. Well, the good news of the gospel is God will grow it. He doesn't just give you faith. He grows your faith. So give him glory before 
you see the growth. Keep planting, keep watering, keep gathering together as the church, keep praying, keep seeding with the word of God. In hope against hope, believe that it's not how much faith you have, it's who your faith is in. And he'll grow it. You just keep sowing and he'll grow it. Father, thank you for this faith. Thank you for understanding what it means to be human. As Hebrews says, since we had flesh and blood, you came and shared in it so that you could understand what it was like to be us and to wrestle and to doubt and to struggle. And you were perfect. But thank you, God, that you're a high priest that understands. And so as we wrestle and struggle in this walk, God, help us to continue to give glory before we see the growth and trust that you will give the growth because you gave it to Abraham and you'll give it to us. And we have that guarantee because of Christ. So no matter what the circumstances we are, God, are, are in, God, help us to hope against them because you're the God who brings life to the dead and creates things to exist that don't exist. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.